And welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big question is, how is it possible to fail to cast out demons while using the name of Jesus? I think that's going to be an interesting topic for us today. Welcome into the show. I want to point you to our website, Bible Reading Podcast. If you have a Bible question you'd like to for us to consider down the road, I just ask you to go to that website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, leave a comment on a post with your question, and we will put it uh, in an upcoming show and hopefully give you a good answer there. I also want to encourage you to share the show. Our goal is to get people involved in daily Bible reading, and the whole show is really focused on the Word of God and the encouragement that comes from that, and when you share that and invite people into the journey with us, then uh, that's more and more people hearing the word of God. And so I want to welcome in our new listeners. You don't have to go back and make up all the ground you've, you might feel like you've lost. Because the thing is, again, it's not about reading through the whole Bible in a year. If you do that, great. I hope you do. But it's about getting into a daily habit of reading the Word of God and being refreshed by it. So today's episode 19, and we are reading about Sarah's rescue from Abimelech in Genesis 20, because Abraham lied again. We are reading about the great prayer of confession from Nehemiah chapter 9, which makes for two amazing prayers found in the book. We're reading about the rich young ruler, among other things, in Matthew 19, and a botched exorcism in Acts 19 that leaves the would-be exorcists naked, bleeding, and profoundly embarrassed. Those people who say that the Bible is boring probably have just skimmed the surface of it. So let's us go into the deeps. As I said earlier, our feature passage for the day is Acts chapter 19. The main topic we're focusing on is right there in the middle of the chapter. It's the attempt by those foolish sons of Sceva to exercise a demon. I think it's a funny story in some ways. Let's read it and see if you agree. Acts 19, verse 1 from the Christian Standard Bible. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? He asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, 
heard the word of the Lord. Now, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish high priests, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both the Jews and the Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers became confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. After these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, it's necessary for me to go see Rome as well. After sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way, for a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised, and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin, the very one all of Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they all rushed in together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Some were shouting one thing and some another, because the whole assembly was in confusion, and most of them didn't even know why they'd come together. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they pushed him to the front, motioning with his hands. Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! When the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, 
People of Ephesus, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. For you've brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in session and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, we run a risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today, since there's no justification that we can give as a reason for this disturbance. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. So I'm not a brawler or anything, but I've been in a few fights in my day, and I've seen a few more, but I have never in my life seen somebody beaten so badly that they run from the fight naked. One of my earliest memories was of a dream that happened over and over and over again for several years. I lost track of how many times it happened because of the fog of age, but I recall this dream haunting me for an inordinate amount of time, years and years. In the dream, I would most of the time be in my bed. I mean, I would I would be dreaming this, but I would be in the dream in my bed and Satan would come up into my room, usually through my closet, and he would come and get me from my bed and pick me up, kicking and screaming, and he would take me back into the closet and start to go down the stairs that had all of a sudden magically appeared in my closet and I knew he was taking me down to hell. I also knew that the thing I had to do is if I could just say the name Jesus, Satan would have to let me go. Because, I mean, even as a kid, even as a six and seven year old, I had this sense that there was power in the name of Jesus. But the problem was, no matter how hard I tried in my dream, I couldn't say the name Jesus. I, I don't remember that I was able to talk or call for my parents or anything, but I specifically remember there was no way for me to form the word Jesus with my lips. And even thinking about it today, I still kind of get a shiver of terror going down my spine thinking about it. Well, in Acts 19, we actually have a real-life version of a demonic encounter where these impostering sons of Sceva vainly try to imitate Jesus and Paul the Apostle. They encounter a demon-possessed man and try to, I don't know, control the man, cast the demons out. The text isn't very clear what they're trying to do. Maybe they're just showing off. But they try to challenge this wickedness with the name of Jesus. And presumably they're able to pronounce the name just fine. But the mere saying of the name of Jesus doesn't help. In fact, it just seems to stir up the demonic individual even more. So what gives? They said the name. They did the right thing, right? I mean, the demon would have to surrender immediately because they said the magic word. Well, here's the problem. The fact is, the name of Jesus is not magical in and of itself. Now, again, going back to my childhood, I still remember the shock I got the first time in each subsequent time when I would open a pack of 
1970s, maybe early 80s era Topps baseball cards, and I would pull out a Jesus Alou card. And Jesus being spelled uh, J-E-S-U-S. And I would think, oh my gosh, how horrid a family named their child Jesus. And there should be one and only Jesus. These people must just be horrible. Of course, I was an ignorant kid. It turns out that the name Jesus is actually quite common in Latin America. Nothing wrong with that. And the name Jesus, or the Hebrew word Yeshua, was also extremely common in first century Israel. There were literally hundreds, maybe more, People in Israel named Jesus, or the Hebrew equivalent, Yeshua, during the ministry of Jesus Christ, the son of Joseph and Mary. And thus we see here why the mere mention of a name that is quite common did not have the power to control a demonic entity. Because it's not the name of Jesus or the pronunciation of Jesus that is powerful. It's not the word that's powerful. It is the person of Jesus that's powerful. And you might be thinking of some Bible verses right now. Like, for instance, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Sure, that's in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul writes there, This reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, one thing I notice in that Philippians reference is that it is a reference to a particular Jesus. Hundreds of Jesuses in first century Israel, one Jesus Christ, Christ meaning Messiah, one Jesus the Messiah. Consider Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, a person is miraculously healed in the name of Jesus. Verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that, here it comes, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. So what's the difference? Well, the sons of Sceva knew the name Jesus, but Peter knew Jesus. Not just the word Jesus, but the specific Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The power in the name of Jesus is not about the knowledge of the name. It is about the knowing of the person. Thus was Paul able to cast out a demon in Acts chapter 16. The Bible says Paul was greatly annoyed. There was a servant girl that was predicting the future and hollering all of the time uh, by the power of a demon. And so Paul said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. 
He Now, Paul, he did not near, merely know the way to pronounce the name of Jesus. He knew the specific Jesus. He knew Jesus. It's not mere knowledge that has power. It is in the knowing of Jesus. Facts have no power over dark spirits. Education, and I worked at a seminary for years, almost 10 years. I value seminaries, but education has no power over the powers of darkness and no power to accomplish spiritual work. That's why it's possible to be very learned, to go to seminary, to learn the Bible, to have great knowledge, but no fruit. Because it isn't about knowledge, it's about knowing of Jesus. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Consider the chilling words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name, then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreaker. Now that is an unsettling passage that says you can know the name of Jesus, you can know facts about Jesus, but you can, in knowing that, not know Jesus. So more positively, to sort of drill down even deeper into what I'm actually talking about, you can go to the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, where he describes what it means to be a Christian. Verse 23, he says, he's talking about his followers who are going to come along after his resurrection. And he says, I am in them and you are in me. He's talking to his father. He's praying. He's saying, I am in my followers and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, it means we know him. It means he's in us. Christianity is not about knowledge. It is about Jesus in us and we in him. Paul calls it, says Christ in us, the hope of glory in Colossians 1. So there was no Jesus in the sons of Siva. I'm going to say that again. There was no Jesus in the sons of Siva. They knew the name. They did not know the person. And therefore, their attempts fell flatter than flat. May that not be true of us, brothers and sisters and friends and family. Let us go on to know Jesus. Not facts about Jesus, but to know Jesus. Allow me to close with these fantastic words of one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon. He said this, We long to see the people saved, but in order to that for that to happen, they must be born again. And this we cannot accomplish ourselves. Change a stone into flesh? Try that at home with a piece of stone on your table before you attempt it with the hard hearts of people. Create a soul between the ribs of death? Try that in a charnel house before you pretend to create within a sinner dead in sin the spiritual life. Of regeneration, we may say, this is the finger of God. In other words, not that 
works of man. If our religion is not supernatural, says Spurgeon, it's a delusion. If the Holy Spirit is not with you, you are like the enemies of Moses, Jans, and Jambres, attempting to work a miracle without God's aid, and you will be baffled and detected for an imposter. You will fail like the seven sons of Sceva, a Jew who tried to cast out devils. The devils do not know you. They would know Jesus. They would know the Holy Spirit. But at your idle efforts, they mockingly laugh. Only those people who never do any spiritual work talk about what they can accomplish. When you get into the service of God, you find out how great your weakness actually is. You feel out of your depth when you come to deal with the souls of people. And you must have the Holy Spirit or fail. We must not conclude that because so many good people give their time to God's work that necessarily the work is done. No, there's nothing done, says Spurgeon, unless the Holy Spirit does it. We never go a step towards heaven personally, and we never lead another person one inch towards heaven personally apart from the Holy Spirit. We must have the Holy Spirit. And if we have him not All of our efforts and machinery will stand still. Or, if it still sort of appears to go on, it will produce no effect whatever. We must abide in Jesus. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Next up, this is Genesis chapter 20, verse 1, in the Christian Standard Bible. From there, Abraham traveled to the region of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. While he was staying in Gerar, Abraham said about his wife Sarah, She's my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar had Sarah brought to him. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, You are about to die because of the woman you have taken, for she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it is innocent? Didn't he himself tell me she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. I did this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. I have also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I have not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die, you and all who are yours. Early in the morning, Abimelech got up, called all his servants together, and personally told him all these things, and the men were terrified. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said to him, What have you done to us? How did I sin against you that you brought such enormous guilt on me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that should never be done. Abimelech also asked Abraham, What made you do this? Abraham replied, I thought... There's absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife, because she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, Show your loyalty to me wherever we go, and say about me, He's my brother. 
Then Abimelech took flocks and herbs and herds and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham and returned his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Look, my land is before you. Settle wherever you want. And he said to Sarah, Look, I'm giving your brother 1,000 pieces of silver. It is a verification of your honor to all who are with you. You are fully vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so that they could bear children. For the Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, I don't want to judge Abraham exactly, but I feel like there's some errors you make in life that you really just get one shot at. And the error of telling people your wife is your sister so that they will marry her and not beat you up or whatever, I feel like that's a one-shot sort of error. Um, never been in that position before where uh, a king wanted to kill me to take my wife. But I think if I was, there might be better ways to handle it. Oh, that's all I'll say about that. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and put dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani stood on the raised platform built for the Levites and cried out loudly to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmi, Bani, Hashab, Beniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up! Blessed be the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their stars, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and all the stars of heaven worship you. You, the Lord, are the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and changed his name to Abraham. You found his heart faithful in your sight and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. You saw the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. You perform signs and wonders against Pharaoh, all his officials, and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly they treated our ancestors. You made a name for yourself that endures to this day. You divided the sea before them, and they crossed through it on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into raging waters. You led them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night to illuminate the way they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them impartial ordinances, reliable instructions, and good statutes and commands. You revealed your holy Sabbath to them and gave them commands, statutes, and instruction through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water from the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land you had sworn to give them. 
But our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you perform among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. And you did not abandon them, even after they had cast an image of a calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And they had committed terrible blasphemies. You did not abandon them in the wilderness because of your great compassion. During the day, the pillar of cloud never turned away from them, guiding them on their journey. And during the night, the pillar of fire illuminated the way they should go. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. You provided for them in the wilderness forty years, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. You gave them kingdoms and peoples and established boundaries for them. They took possession of the land of King Sihon of Heshbon and the land of King Og of Bashan. You multiplied their descendants like the stars of the sky and brought them to the land you told their ancestors to go in and possess. So their descendants went in and possessed the land. You subdued the Canaanites who inhabited the land before them and handed their kings and the surrounded peoples over to them to do as they pleased with them. They captured fortified cities and fertile land and took possession of well-supplied houses, cisterns cut out of rock and vineyards, olive groves and fruit trees and abundance. They ate, they were filled, became prosperous and delighted in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They flung your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed terrible blasphemy, so you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. In their time of distress, they cried out to you, and you heard from heaven. In your abundant compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the power of their enemies. But as soon as they had relief, they again did what was evil in your sight. So you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. When they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and rescued them. Many times in your compassion, you warned them to turn back to your law, but they acted arrogantly and would not obey your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, which a person will live by if he does them. They stubbornly resisted, stiffened their necks, and would not obey. You were patient with them for many years, and your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. So now our God, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant Do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us, our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, our ancestors, and all your people from the days of the Assyrian kings until today. You are righteous concerning all that has happened to us because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. 
Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to your commands and warnings you gave them when they were in their kingdom with your abundant goodness that you gave them and in the spacious and fertile land you set before them, they would not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness. Here we are, slaves in it. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you've set over us. Because of our sins, they rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. Matthew 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hardness of heart, but it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And his disciples said to him, if the relationship of a, of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. Jesus responded, not everyone can accept this saying, but only to those who, to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. Then children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After placing his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? He said to him, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked him. Jesus answered, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all of these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go, sell your belongings, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and said, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
Then Peter responded to him, See, we've left everything and followed you, so what will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or children, or fields, because of my name, will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last in the last first. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. I genuinely hope that hearing it was encouragement to your soul, was water to the garden of your heart, and that the root, uh, the word of God will take deep root in you and bear much fruit in both of us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Godspeed, and we'll be back tomorrow.